Let me ask a question. Have you ever felt like or looked around and felt like God was helping everyone else but not you? Have you ever seen God helping other people achieve their dreams but He doesn't seem to be helping you achieve yours? Have you ever kind of looked around and got an idea that God's answering everyone else's prayers but He's not answering yours? And maybe if you were honest with yourself, you'd think, you found yourself thinking, I'd actually prefer God didn't answer anybody's prayers because He's not answering mine and if He didn't answer anyone else's, at least I'd feel better about myself and my life. You know, this can happen. One of the challenges that we have as followers of Jesus is we read our Bible and if you spend any time reading your Bible, you'll, you'll stumble across a growing list of promises, things that God actually promises us and yet I wonder if you've ever experienced a gap between the promises you read and the life you've experienced or the life you're experiencing right now, that somehow your circumstances don't match up with God's promises and you're left with this distinct gap. I wanna look at that today and I actually wanna look at it through the lens of a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church in a place called Galatia. Now, those of you with our Elevate app, you can open that up, tap on the Bible. It's gonna take you to a letter, this letter or a slice of the letter. And the way this kind of works is Paul was a leader in the early church 2,000 years ago. And actually what he would do is he would go and, and, and launch new churches in major uh, port cities and capital cities in the known world at the time. And then he'd raise up a leader and he'd hand the, the church over, the leadership of that church over to a leader. And he'd go on to, the, to, to continue his mission of starting new churches. But he kept up the relationship with these churches by writing letters. This was before YouTube. And uh, he would write letters Letters of encouragement and instruction and correction and so on and so forth. And so this is a slice of, of one of the letters that he wrote to this church in Galatia. I wanna read uh, quite a bit. Uh, so we're gonna have it up on the screens if it's easy for you to follow there as well. So try to just kind of wrap your head around this. This is a little bit of what Paul wrote to that church. Think of it this way, he wrote. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children... Those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to actually obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Jesus Christ came. We were like children. We were like slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world, but... When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we, He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, there's a lot there. So I'm going to kind of unpack it piece by piece. I'm going to start with the last bit. God, just back it up. God has made you his heir. Now, we don't use that language very often. In fact, it's quite plausible that you and I don't fully understand what that concept actually looks like. We're not Prince Harry. 
Prince Harry understands what that concept looks like because Prince Harry was born into a royal family and simply by being born into a royal family, not because he's done anything, not because he earned it, not, no, he was born into a family. Simply by being born into that family, Prince Harry became an heir. Paul's trying to get that concept across to you and to me. He's trying to get us to understand that we have that very same thing going on when we were born into the royal family of the King of Kings. That at the moment that you and I decided to follow Jesus, at that moment, we became an heir in the royal family. The problem is, even if we start to understand the concept even if we start to, to, to kind of agree that Paul's telling the truth, that this is right, that we have been born into this royal family, it's still difficult to fully appreciate what that looks like. What does that actually mean day to day? What does that actually look and mean? And what's its significance for me today as a followers of Jesus? Because if we either don't know that we are heirs in the royal family, or if we know we are, but we don't know what that actually means in practice, then we're not gonna live like heirs to the King. So let me back it right up to the top. Verse one, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves. See, here's the thing that Paul's trying to explain to us, that slaves have masters. But he wants us to know that Jesus didn't defeat death so that God be, could become our master. So he goes on to write, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves, even though they actually own everything their father has. You can actually have an inheritance but be living like a slave. We can actually already have been given everything from the King of Kings, from our father, yet if we don't know it, then we're not actually going to take that inheritance. It's gonna make no difference in our lives, and if it doesn't make any difference in our lives, we might as well be living like slaves, not living like an heir. But Jesus didn't defeat death so God be could become our master. Jesus defeated death so God could become our father. And that changes everything. And yet too many people I know who say they're following Jesus are living like God's their master. Here's a little pop quiz. to highlight whether maybe in some aspects of your life, your relationship with God is like that of a slave and a master. You, you may have a relationship with God as, a, as your master if your relationship is based around guilt and shame. You may have a relationship with God as your master if your relationship is all about obedience and obligation, which by the way is what's called religion. Your relationship with God may be that of a master and you as a slave if you're preoccupied with God's judgment and condemnation rather than His mercy and His grace. 
Your relationship with God may be that of a master and you as a slave if you're preoccupied with not letting God down instead of being preoccupied with actually living to please Him. You're the slave and He's the master. And here's the good news I wanna share with us this morning on Father's Day is God doesn't want you to live like a slave. He wants you to live like an heir, like a son and a daughter to the King of Kings. And in this very verse, there's a clue, which I edited out, but let's drop it now. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. When I was in primary school, I would get home, I, I literally lived on the same street as my primary school, so I would get home at quite, you know, not long after the siren went or the bell rang, or I don't think we had electricity back then, it was probably a bell. Um, so I would get home and then probably about an hour, hour and a half later, my dad would arrive home. My dad, when I was in primary school, he would park his Holden Tirana in my, in my early primary school years and then it graduated to a Holden Gemini in my uh, upper primary school years. Either way, we were brand loyal. My mum still drives a Holden Barina, so brand loyal. And uh, so my dad would come home from work. I'd already be home from school. My dad would come home from work and he would park the Tirana at the top of the driveway. And we had a short driveway, just suburbia here in Perth and the carport at the other end of the driveway. He would park at the top of the driveway and I knew he'd keep the motor on. I knew that was my cue and my brother and I would take uh, turns and alternate days. That was my cue to run out, run out to the top of the driveway and I would climb up in my dad's lap and I got to drive the car down the driveway into the carport. Primary school, living the dream. So just imagine if this was my play when I graduated to high school. I turned 13, I get to high school, and I say to my dad when he comes home from work, hey, dad, throw me the keys. I got this. And my dad says, son, no, you don't. You don't got this. You, do you actually understand that while you were in primary school and we were taking the car from the top of the driveway to the bottom of the driveway, do you actually understand you weren't driving? And not only that, even though you're now 13, you're still not ready to drive. I'm not going to throw you the keys until you grow up. And I wonder if that's God's challenge for some of us this morning, is we've been wondering why God hasn't thrown us the keys and God's saying to you, actually, there's some areas in your life, before I trust you with the keys, you need to grow up. And it's not that my dad was trying to limit my potential, that God didn't realize my calling to automotive greatness. It's that I wasn't ready to take the keys. And my dad, as a loving father, didn't give me the keys until I grew up. And there's a very key difference between growing up physically and growing up spiritually. Growing up physically is largely just about staying alive. 
Growing up physically is literally providing you have the right, you know, basic conditions, food, water, shelter. It's literally just about time. It's about just waking up alive one day after another and you'll keep growing physically. It's just about time. But growing up spiritually isn't about time. Growing up spiritually is about choice. Because I know people who say they've been following Jesus for 20 years and yet they actually haven't grown much spiritually. Maybe you know them too. Maybe you are them. I mean, have you grown much in the last year? Have you grown much in the last five years? Have you grown much in the last 20 years? Because here's the difference between someone who's just, who thinks they're growing spiritually is just about the time that they've been a Christian versus somebody that understands Jesus didn't ask you to become a Christian. Jesus asked you to come follow Him. And what a lot of people do is they follow Him for a year and then they get comfortable. And instead of following Him into the new adventure of the new year, they just could do a lap and start again and copy and paste the last year. And so for 20 years, they followed Him for one and then repeated that same experience 19 more times. Growing spiritually isn't about time, it's about choice. It's about saying to God, I will follow you day after day, month after month, year after year. And in that journey, in that relationship, in that connection, that's when and how we grow spiritually. It's very different from growing physically. Chances are you know somebody, and I'm not saying this to be judgy, but just, you know, it's church, we should be honest sometimes. That you know someone that's actually just decided to remain in the safe space of adolescence spiritually. Because the thing about the safe space of spiritual adolescence is you don't have to take responsibility for anything. It's everyone else's job to look after you. And yet that's not the person that God throws the keys to. That's not the person that God unlocks his promises for. That's not the person that God entrusts with more because he entrusts us with more when we're ready for them as a result of us growing up. That's why we have what we call our Elevate Essentials. Now, in addition to our own personal practices of reading the Bible, Praying personally, we as a church have intentionally designed only five things. We have a very unapologetically short and simple menu. This is not Sizzler. Louis and I uh, thought about going to a particular uh, restaurant in our area uh, for dinner two weeks ago until we discovered that the restaurant has 150 items for main course. Nobody can cook on order 150 recipes correctly. No restaurant can have enough fresh food for 150 things. Don't order the fish. It's not the fish of the day. It's potentially not even the fish of the year at that (laughs) restaurant. We have an unapologetically short and simple menu, a menu of things that we think that if you and I go all in on these things, 
we can almost guarantee that you are gonna grow. Unapologetically simple. We call what we do here on Sunday our live experience, that we, are, we don't come to church, we are the church. And we gather and we experience God and one another in a live setting. We're not behind a screen. We're not just listening to a podcast on the treadmill. This is actually us as a church coming together and, and, and having a live experience, human interaction, divine interaction. And we say to people, you know what? Of the 52 Sundays a year, spend one hour on most of those Sundays here because there's something that God can do when the church gathers that can't be replicated anywhere else. And if this isn't a priority for you, don't expect it to be a priority for your kids or your spouse or your grandkids because you're saying to them it's not important, it's not something that's going to help you grow. But I can tell you that the people that are growing are prioritizing all five of these things. An elevate group. You know adolescents sometimes, I know, I love adolescents, by the way. If you're an adolescent, this metaphor isn't to put you down. It's just to say spiritually, some people can stay there. But one of the things I've noticed about adolescents is they don't always have to leave their bedroom. Some of them prefer not to leave their bedroom because there's humans on the other side of that door. Adults, scary people, things, oh, here's something on the other side of that door, responsibility. Things you're going to be asked to do, put out the trash. Well, I didn't put anything in the trash. Put the trash out or I'll put you in the trash. Parenting tip 101. Um, There's dishes to be done on the other side of that door. But people that get out of their door and join an Elevate group and actually abandon the safe space of adolescence and say, I want to actually be around people that are going to encourage me and challenge me to grow. Prioritize, oh, I don't have time for that. Well, that's fine. Growth's not important to you. I get it. That's fine. Stay where you are. Joining an Elevate team, people realizing that we're not saved. Jesus didn't just save us for us. That we weren't saved to sit. We were saved to serve. That there's actually something God wants us to do with the gifts that he's entrusted with us. But if we want the keys, we need to say that we're actually going to drive the car. That's what that looks like. Giving. Here's one. Giving. Now, by the way, we're doing an increasingly good job on all of these things. So I'm not putting this up to name and shame anybody. However... If you're someone that thinks, man, I got some room for growth and you haven't gone all in on at least some, if not most, if not potentially ultimately all of these, just five essentials, they're not elevate options, then I encourage you to think that there's a next step for you and it's, and it's low-hanging fruit. Giving financially. And then this one here, invest, invite, invest. You know that we advertise on Google, and I mentioned this last week, we advertise on Google, and some of you have come to this church because we popped up on your screen. It's not actually the number one way we want to see people become part of the church. The number one way we want to see people become part of the church is that you and I intentionally look for people who don't yet know Jesus to invest into them to ultimately over the course of building a trusting relationship and God's Holy Spirit working through you and in them to invite them, invite them to an Elevate group, invite them on a Sunday, invite them Father's Day. Hey, invite them after we've had three more prime ministers to Christmas, whatever it happens to be. Christmas Eve, Sunday morning this year, so we won't even have to turn up to church twice in one week. Here's some low-hanging fruit. And, 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 and this does beg the question, well, okay, uh, 
Because my observation, leading this church for eight years, the people that are growing the most are the people that have gone all in on these things. And that begs the question, were they growing and did that growth and appetite for growth cause them to go all in? Or did going all in cause them to grow? Here's my answer. It doesn't matter. It's a chicken or the egg question. I like chickens and I like eggs and I don't care which one came first, I'll take them both. So get growing and go all in, go all in and get growing. Which one comes first? I don't care. It's about growth. It's about growth. Until they grow, I ain't throwing them the keys. Hey, then Paul keeps going. Music team can come on up. Paul keeps writing. But when the time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Jesus didn't defeat death so he, God could become your master. Jesus defeated death so God could become your father. And too many people are living like orphans. The thing about orphans is they just put up with the scraps. They don't actually have a father that they can aggressively ask for and and boldly come to. They're living like orphans. And the thing about slaves, slaves just exist. Orphans just survive. But God's best isn't for us to be slaves that just exist and orphans that just survive. His best for us is to be people who grow and get to experience these promises that He actually has mapped out for us, that He's put in front of us. We're not to live like slaves. We're not to live like orphans. In fact, we're actually ultimately meant to call on God and and, and have a relationship with Him. That's a relationship of, of a father and not just any father, Abba Father. Now this Abba is not, is not merely the name of a Swedish pop group. This, this phrase Abba Father is considered the most intimate name that God has ever been given. And it's actually a name that Jesus Himself called out to God in His darkest moment. On earth, he cried out to God and he himself, the son of God, who'd abandoned heaven, cried out to God when he needed him the most and called him Abba, Father. And the essence of this, of this name of God, Abba, is, of, is that of a God who knows everything about us and loves us anyway, who loves us unconditionally, whose love you and I could not earn because Jesus bought it for us. We've actually been adopted into a royal family by Abba Father. So now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're His child, God made you His heir. Paul's writing to this in the church in the past tense. He's saying to you as a follower of Jesus, this has already happened. The challenge for us isn't to make this happen. It's already happened. The invitation to us is to live like this is true, to live like heirs. And I know we don't get it because we're not Prince Harry. So let me put you in Meghan Markle's stilettos for a minute. 
Meghan Markle wasn't born into a royal family, but however, through the, through the rights of marriage, she was recently adopted into a royal family. She's now an heir, just like Harry, in that royal family because she's been adopted. And here's the thing you'll notice if you've been uh, wasting your time following Meghan Markle and Harry's journey, as if it affects you in any way. God, God bless them and love them, but please, you know, surely we've got better things to read about. Some people count sheep to get to sleep. I count prime ministers. Interesting thing about Meghan Markle's journey to having been adopted into a royal family is she's now been asked to do things differently than she was doing before. She's now been asked to think like royalty. She's now been asked to speak like royalty. She's now been asked to act like royalty. And it may be that she wasn't doing bad things before. I quite like suits. Uh, however, she's now royalty. And because she's now royalty, there's an invitation and an expectation to live like it, to live like an heir, to live like a son or a daughter, in our case, of the King of Kings. And the challenge to growth is as much a challenge as it is an invitation. The challenge to to no longer live like slaves is as much of a challenge as it is an invitation. And it's not about pressure, it's not about striving, it's not about earning, it's about an Abba Father who's already adopted you. And what He's saying is, if you can get it, if you can appreciate it, if you can understand it, then let it affect how you think. You used to think here, now I want, to you to think here. Slaves grow up, heirs rise up. There was a level of thinking that you used to do, but now that you're an heir to the King of Kings, elevate your thinking to a new level. That's right. Someone should call a church that because it's about what God wants for us. Because you're a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, elevate your words. You know, I got a real simple, real simple, real simple. You know, people say Aussie culture, it's all about putting people down. You put people down because it makes you feel better about yourself. It's just Aussies, it's just what we do. I can't stand that. Because first and foremost, I'm not an Aussie citizen. First and foremost, I'm an heir of the King of Kings. And I'm gonna speak life. I'm an introvert, I only use 500 words a week. I'm gonna use all of them to speak life. Why would I waste any of my 500 words Speaking death, speaking insults, putting people down, gossiping. No, that's not what heirs, that's not what royalty does. Elevate your words and elevate your actions. There should be a trajectory of growth. It doesn't mean that we don't ever face challenges. One of the great BS myths that some churches peddle is that you follow Jesus and everything's perfect forever and ever. Amen. Bull dust. People tell you that haven't read the Bible. As Jesus said, in this world, you'll always have troubles. And He calls us to live like royalty in this world. 
we've handpicked a song that I want you just to just listen. Just stay seated. Just listen. This talks about the essence of God. You know, I'm aware that on Father's Day, for some of you, that your experience of your father, some of you, wasn't actually very positive. And so sometimes when you hear that God wants you to call him father, you think, doesn't sound like a compliment. I'd rather stay a slave than go through that again. And, and, you know, I I had a a wonderful uh, father. And so I, I don't share your experience if that's your experience. But, you know, God's adopted you into his family. And he's got something better for you, even if your experience wasn't great. And those of you that was great, you know what? Even the best father, God's got something even better. So just think about these words. And at the end of it, if you've never actually allowed God to adopt you into his family, Louie's going to come on up. And she's going to give you that invitation. And maybe this Father's Day is going to be marked in history as the day that you chose to let God be your father and no longer live as a slave, but become an heir into his royal family.